0: Welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob. Today we're going to be looking at the world of pre-written history Germany. We're going to be talking about the dirt, the plants, the animals, and discuss just a little bit about what role these creatures and these plants played in early German lives. Now if you've been to Germany, then you already have a detailed picture in your mind. You know the sights and the sounds and the smells of the cities. But I want you to take a minute and clear your mind. Eliminate everything you know about Germany for just a second. Give me a blank slate to work with. Because what you think of Germany, that's only good for the world we live in right now. It's not going to be the same 10 years down the road. Nor is it the same 10 years ago. And what we're talking about is thousands of years ago. So, there are no lights, no multicultures, no massive cities, no cruises or castles or vehicles, no streets, no party centers or breweries. Just loud and abundant nature. Before the time of the early Germans, the land of Germany, the land that you're picturing in your mind right now, is covered in ice. And this ice slowly recedes over time. This ice opens up the land and leaves a clay soil, lakes, and swamps. Eventually, the meltwater from the glacier left large masses of gravel and sand, called Gist, over large areas of Germany. Those areas that were lucky enough not to be iced over by the glaciers don't have Gist. Instead, they have this light and loamy sand known as Luis, which provides a fertile land for early agriculture. The lands to the west are covered in sand and clay marshlands, and for the early Germans they would have to work extremely hard in order to settle. The rest of the land of the Germans is quite expansive and wooded. There are few areas of open plains and nearly no highlands. The lowlands from the Netherlands to western Russia consisted of the home of these early Germans. And most of this land is only about 300 feet above sea level and has no major rise above 1,000 feet. This causes a lot of the coastline to be marshy ground so the north and the western lands are heavily affected by large lakes and marsh that will play a large part in German religious backgrounds. The coastline will be constantly fluctuating causing movement among the people who used to live on the coastline but now are being flooded out. Rivers feed into Germany through the Eames, Wesser, Elbe, Oder, and the Vistula. The valleys created by these rivers become a major center for settlement and eventually arenas of combat. To the south, this great flat land is bounded by the uplands of Europe, which range from the plateaus to well-defined ranges of hills. These lands do not bode well for early agriculture, but they offer opportunities for raising stock. Due to the height of the Carpathian Mountains, the Germans never go further south. The Carpathians are located near modern-day Hungary. Looking to the north, the lands offer a mix of soil with areas of farming, while others are having to rely on hunting. The land would lead to trading and decent settlement in the north, with only the land of central Jutland inhospitable due to its marshes and lack of farmable and attractive land. Jutland is the peninsula that forms Denmark. So, in your mental map, you should see that the land is highly sustainable within the center and surrounded by inhospitable territory with oceans to the north and the west, mountains to the south, marsh to the north, and expansion of the Russian plains to the east, turning Germania into a productive region that could support a large population on agriculture alone. And most of these civilizations that will form in Germania will start around the rivers. Now the land itself would be covered in massive woodlands, but they contained very little in mineral wealth other than iron. The Germans would not become rich from this land like the other peoples of Europe. In fact, the only known trade good the Germans could bring to the Romans was amber from the Baltic coast. Nothing else seemed to appease them. And so while the lands are farmable and could sustain a larger population, it wasn't about to make anyone rich off of gold and silver. Material wealth will have to be brought in. So there's your dirt, there's your metals. What about the plants? Well, for wild vegetation, you could find berries and trees. You could find the typical wild plants found in Europe. These include celery, spinach, dandelions, which you can't eat. They just don't taste that good. Radishes, lettuce, elderberries, strawberries, blackberries, plum, wild cherry, and hazelnut. These are just a few, the many, many wild plants that you could eat. While these would take part in the Germans' diets, they remain rather limited due to the fact that they are wild vegetation. You eat them when you find them. They're not always that easy to find, and they require time and energy that could be spent on other projects. What about the farmable plants? Well, what we do know comes from the seeds and the pollen studies of remains that have been excavated. Barley. Oats, rye, wheat, beans, peas, and fax, all of these were grown by the Germans, with the grains forming the majority of their non-meat diets. Flax serves a secondary purpose, because it can be used as a food or for its oils. The plants that could grow in Germania would allow tribes coming from the east to settle into a more agrarian lifestyle rather than the nomadic found on the Russian plains. However, the grain-based farming did not lend itself to the more luxurious staples such as fruits, nor the healthy vegetables, meaning that the Germans were not going to become wildly rich and would miss out on a drink that would take the Mediterranean world by storm. Anyone want to guess? It's wine. But that's okay, though. The Germans have their own answer for a luxury drink. And that is beer. So now that we've discussed the land, and we've talked about the plants, we need to talk about the animals that lived on the land. Now, in a typical German village you would find the majority of the animals found in Europe. For their livestock, they have cows, chickens, pigs, horses, sheep, goats, and dogs. And thanks to the animal bones that we have found in these villages, we have an understanding of how common these creatures were in the life of the village. Now, while all of these animals would play a role in German settlements, they do not share the same role or share similar importance. Before we go into detail about these creatures, I want you to take a minute and write down in descending order the amount of each creatures you would find in a typical German settlement. Would the majority be chickens? Maybe horses? Just take a second, pause the podcast, and create a list. Uh, That is, if you're not driving. If you are driving, don't you dare do this. You just focus on driving. I'm sorry, you're going to have to miss out on this. Alright, so those of you who aren't driving, do you have your list? Let's see how well you did. Coming in first place. Cattle. Cattle are seen as one of the most prominent animals in villages. And it makes sense. They can be used for their milk, their meat. And when they die, you can turn them into leather, making them a highly resourceful animal. In one village called Volsov, 70% of the bones found were cattle. And number two, sheep. Sheep make the next highest due again to the resourceful uses from milk, wool, and meat. Now pigs follow closely behind the sheep, making them number three because of their easy nature and the amount of food that they provide. Number four, dogs. Man's best friend doesn't rank that high in the list of animals found in a village. They have a very small number, and they were probably used as watchdogs and shepherding. Number five is horses, which I'm sure surprises a lot of you. But horses are starting to scrape the barrel for animal bones, and we just don't find them as often as others. What we can find about horses is that they're typically only used as draft animals. But there are signs on the bones that show that the meat had been scraped off, which could mean that the horse was eaten and tied for last place, goats and chickens. All right. How well did y'all do? Were you shocked? I know I was, when I was trying to create my own list. You see, cattle, sheep, and pigs offer plenty of resources for the early Germans. They can sustain themselves on these three alone. Dogs provide a service, and they require little in support. But why do chickens and goats rank so low in the list? Why are they in last place? Well, we believe it's just because they're not as economical. Both do not provide as much resources as the other three at the top, nor do they provide a service like the dog. Now, before we continue onwards, I'm sure you're wondering about the horse, why it was so low. I'm going to talk about that, but This goes back to our issue of a modern-day picture. When I said the word horse, you automatically thought of a large creature that you could ride. Big, strong, beautiful. Maybe you thought of a pretty pretty princess pony, who knows? But that's not what the Germans have. On average, the German horse was four feet and one inch tall. 4 feet and 1 inch tall. And this is about the size of a Welsh pony section A or B. I'm not talking about the cobs, which is the tallest of the Welsh ponies, but I'm talking about the section A's or B's. If you get a chance, Google these horses. I'm going to try to upload a picture on the website for you guys. But this gives you an idea of what exactly these Germans were used to. They're tiny creatures. Now, cows, they actually have the same issue as horses for us. When we think of cows, we think of large, fat creatures. Typically nice, unless you're running into one that has horns. But for the Germans, their cows were only about 3 feet and 6 inches tall. The size of a cow today is about 5 feet and 2 inches. So, the German cow would fall under the mini size such micro-sized cow and bull standards of the modern world. And just to let you know, those are considered pets in today's world. They're not used for production. We don't breed them for milk or meat. We breed them to be our pets. Now, while many of these creatures would be used for all their available resources, it does not mean that the Germans didn't have access to the succulent meat of the young. In fact, most of the settlements explored have been found with about one-third of the sheep bones being those killed within the first 18 months. The breed meats available to the Germans may have been from tiny livestock, but they still had access to the same amount of meats that we do in modern America. Now, we're not done with the sources of meat yet, because we haven't talked about two of the most popular in modern society. That's right, wild game and seafood. We love to hunt and fish here in America. Well, hunting offered a lot of different creatures, such as aurochs, which were wild cow, wild boar, roe, which is deer, and red bear. And they did have access to otters and beavers and fox. If they were desired. Despite these choices, wild animals played a very minor role in a settled German village. In fact, the majority of the villages have shown less than 1% of wild animal bones. And next to no mention or remains of the otter and beaver and fox. We believe that the deer, the roe, would have been the main target of these hunters because you can use its meats, and you can use its antlers and skins. But overall, hunting, wild animals, just played a limited role in the early German lives. Now you're probably wondering why. Why is that the case? Well, it's simply too time-consuming. You have to plan carefully, and you have to spend hours just waiting to see if you will be lucky enough to catch your prey. Hunting back then also had a lot more negatives than it does today. First of all, the hunters are on foot. They do have those horses, but those horses can't carry them far, nor are they cheap to maintain. So the hunter is on foot, which means his ability to pursue his potential prey is limited around his village. He also has the additional problem of either the prey escaping after you've wasted your hunting weapon or it becoming angry and deciding that killing you is the proper response to your attempt. Take a second and imagine what it would be like to see your spear bounce off the hide of a boar and it turn around and decide to finish you off and show you a proper thrust. Yeah, it's not going to go over well, especially when you don't have access to modern medicine. The other issue with hunting is you have to go where the animals are, and they're not always right next to you. In fact, they're going to learn to avoid the villages where they're being hunted, which requires the hunter to move further and further away from its village, leaving that village without a protector. Okay so wild game not so much. What about fishing? Well fishing is a part of the coastal village and we have found plenty of fish remains in villages such as Ferdisen Verde. Now Ferdisen is found near the port of Bremerhaven on the Wadden Sea and here we have found that fishing played a larger role than hunting as remains of sturgeon, salmon, and cod can be found scattered throughout the village. Now, while these fish would require fishing boats, the whales, the dolphins, and the seals that we've found in these villages were probably found beached or near the coast in order to be taken down. The bones of these mammals would be used by the Germans, but for the most part... Those beached animals we find are typically seals due to the fact that they were the easiest to hunt down and they provided meat, oil, and skins for the early Germans to use. Overall, we find fishing in a lot more coastal villages than we do on river villages and we find more meats of the fish than we do wild game. All right, next week we'll be discussing the arrival of the early Germans into unwritten history, what we know about their settlements, and their society. I hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you next Tuesday.